Good morning. Again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, we need to be ever mindful of the fact that we are because God is. Uh, we are saved from sin uh, because we are in Christ and he is a risen savior. Uh, we are able to be free from worry because God is faithful uh, and he is able. Uh, we are alive this day because God is a provider and he is a sustainer. Uh, it is God who has brought us through our valleys, uh, comforted us in our distresses, and made a way for us when we saw no way ourselves. Uh, thus the psalmist has declared, uh, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Uh, that from Psalm 37, 39, and for all of God's blessings, we ought to be uh, eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again this morning to John chapter 15, the text that was read into our hearing. Uh, want to read again there, uh, verse 1 and verse 5. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Based on the words of the master in John chapter 15, uh, we want to use this morning as a subject, Jesus, the true vine. Now, uh, you recall that for, uh, was supposed to be the months of May and June, uh, the sub-theme was the I Ams of Jesus. Uh, in typical fashion of many preachers, I have run over so we don't just run over in time, we run over in time. Uh, so we are one week into July, uh, but this is the last of the uh, I am's as recorded in John's account uh, of the gospel. Uh, so what we'll do, we'll just shorten the theme uh, for July to three messages as opposed to four and be back on track in August. But as we consider the text that we have before us here in John chapter 15, observe that chapter 15, as is chapter 14, uh, a continuation of the events that occurred on the night of what we typically call uh, the Last Supper. The words of chapter 14 were intended primarily to comfort the sorrowing disciples in view of Jesus's impending death and departure. Now in chapter 15, he gives them uh, instructions and directs their attention uh, to truths that he wants them to remember when he is no longer physically present with them. Now to better appreciate and more fully understand the declaration uh, of Jesus in the text before us, uh, again, we need to consider it uh, not only in the context uh, of the night on which it was spoken, 
we need to consider it in the light of uh, Israel's spiritual history as well. Now, Israel as a vine was brought out of Egypt and planted in Canaan. Now, I know this because in Psalm 80 and verse number eight, uh, the Bible declares, thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Now, this vine, though of a right seed, had degenerated into a strange plant to God. Uh, again, in your Bibles, in Jeremiah 2 and verse number 21, uh, God says, yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? Now, this is said about Israel, uh, about the establishment. And, and Jesus is drawing a contrast between uh, what was supposed to be and what really is. Now, I'm the true vine. Now, now, now there was a vine, but that vine failed to be what God intended, but I'm the true vine. It, it, it's a contrast. And, and Jesus is letting the disciples know, it, it, it looks like me against the establishment, and, and it looks like the establishment is winning, but remember, I'm what you really need to make it. Jesus, by contrast, is the true vine. He had been true to the Father, true to his calling, and true to man. And moreover, he is true to those that are branches in him. Now, remember, as these events unfolded in real time, uh, the disciples didn't have the advantage of hindsight or retrospect. But Jesus was giving them what they needed at that time for that time. And, and I believe that God still does that today. Even though we don't understand everything that is going on, even though we don't see what God sees, I believe that he still gives us what we need as we need it, even if we don't understand or appreciate what it is that he's doing. I liken it to the experience you have as a child growing up watching your parents. You know, sometimes your parents do things and you don't appreciate what it is that they're doing. You don't understand what it is they're doing. But when you grow up and have kids, boy, it just opens your understanding uh, on a level that you didn't appreciate when you were a kid. Now, I see why every time we go out, we can't buy everything we want, even if we have the money to pay for it. I get that now uh, uh, as a parent. I, I see why we have uh, uh, standards and rules, and, and, and I understand what you mean when you say, I'm not everybody else's parent, I, I'm your parent. Uh, all of that starts to make sense when you become a parent. Well, I, I believe that God does that for us today. We don't always understand the rationale behind God's commands. We, we, we don't always understand what it is he's doing when he allows what he allows. But remember, God is the father and he's faithful and he always gives us what we need when we need it. And that includes even if we don't like it when he gives it. A large part of our Christian maturity hinges on our being able to appreciate things retrospectively. You know, if you wanna know if you've grown up, look back retrospectively over your life. Do you look at things different now than you did when you were a teenager or when you were adolescent? 
or maybe when you were 20 something or 30 something, let me tell you, if you 50 something and you still look at the world the way you did when you were a teenager, it means you have not matured a single bit in all of that time. You just see things differently when you mature. And one of the things that will help you see things differently is retrospect. Now, Jesus was encouraging the disciples here in John 15 uh, not to be fooled by looks like. See, it looks like I'm going to lose. It, it, it looks like the Jews are going to put me to silence. It, it, it looks like all that I've been doing is going to come to naught. But it, it requires faith and wisdom to know the difference between looks like and reality. See, circumstances are looks like. And, and sometimes looks like is very prominent. It looks like our world is in trouble. Now it is, but God has a plan. See, you don't have to be in the trouble that the world is in. You can be in the church. God is in control, but it looks like things are getting out of hand. But, but God says, I still reign in the kingdom of men. See, faith in God that he has a plan and that he's in control is reality. So inasmuch as Jesus is the true vine and we are branches in him, there are some things that are true about our relationship with him. Uh, in verse number four there in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. The first takeaway this morning is that as branches we receive. See, a branch can't live apart from the vine. Thus, to live apart from Christ is to be dead while one lives. Did you know you could be dead even though you're living? It, it, dead spiritually, even though physically alive. It, it, just to make the point, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 6, uh, uh, Paul says, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Now, that's not to say that men can't be dead while they live too. I'm just trying to make the point, you can be dead even while you're living. Now, the living dead are not zombies, and I, I know there's a zombie this and, and, a, and a zombie that, but the living dead are those who are outside of Christ and those living in opposition to Christ. Uh, when you walk out into the world, you see a bunch of living dead folk. Anybody outside the body of Christ constitutes part of the living dead. Now, the life of the branch, and I ran across this fancy term, uh, uh, the life of the branch is one of continual appropriation. Now, now, all that means is we're always taking from God. So isn't it good that God always wants to give? Because we always take every breath you take. Guess whose air you're breathing? That's God's air. You are always taking from God. Uh, every second that you are alive, guess who put the breath of life in you? We are always taking from God. And aren't you glad that God doesn't get tired of giving? You know, I'm glad God isn't like us. You know, we'll, we'll give to a point. But you know, if you have your hand out too often, after a while you start to uh, uh, just get on our nerves a little bit. Well, I'm glad God never gets tired of giving. And have you ever noticed how often in scripture we are invited to take? You ever know, like Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. God is, invites us to take all the time. Uh, uh, Revelation 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, freely don't mean that just that we didn't pay anything for it, because there's nothing we could give God in payment for anything that he gives us. But God said, you take as much as you want, and I never get tired of giving. Uh, aren't you glad God is a giver? Because we are by design takers and appreciate there is no life apart from Christ Jesus. Everything that makes us alive, we receive from the Lord. Whether you're talking about spiritual, physical, or, or, or whatever means you want to talk about, anything that gives life comes from God. But, but following what, what Jesus says here, look down in verse 8. He says, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Now, as branches we receive, but if we are branches, we are also disciples, and as disciples, we follow. An inherent part of being the Lord's disciple is the readiness to learn of him and the willingness to receive his word by faith. Now, we follow Jesus uh, by uh, uh, following him, following his example, and walking in faith even as he did but appreciate another mark of discipleship is to love one another. Didn't Jesus say in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another? Now, we live in probably one of the most prominent examples of what Jesus was talking about and what he was not talking about living in the United States. Now, now, let me preface this. Number one, hear me out before you tune me out. And don't get mad at me for talking about what is unless I'm the reason that what is is the way it is. Our nation in particular is very divided. Now, I'm not trying to start nothing. I'm just stating that as my observation. Our nation is very divided. Now, I'm not saying you in particular are divided. I'm saying our nation. Now, it's just like your family. I got some people in my family. Now, I can talk about them because they're my family. Now, you better not talk about them. I won't think it's funny. Now, everybody in my family is not a faithful member of the Lord's church. That, that's just the reality of it. Now, that doesn't mean I can't be a member of the Lord's church just because of all my family isn't. Well, we live in a divided nation. Now, I'm not saying everybody in, 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 in the United States contributes to the division. I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, there's division in the United States. We are divided over race. We are divided over politics. We are divided over economy. And, and I say we because I'm part of the nation. But appreciate there is a difference between division and opposition. Now, again, hear me out before you tune me out. God and the devil are not divided but they are in opposition. Huh? Yeah, that, that, that's right. They, they are not divided, 
but they are in opposition. Now appreciate opposition means we don't cooperate because we're on different sides. That's what an opponent is, is somebody on the other side. And you don't expect somebody on the other side to help you because you're on the other side. You expect your opponent to oppose you. Well, God and Satan are opponents. They expect each other to oppose them. Now, I didn't say that, but I heard somebody over here say it. And, 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 and I agree. Amen. Now, that's just not in scripture. Uh, 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 but yes, e even, even the good side has opposition. Now, division means we don't cooperate even though we're supposed to be on the same side. Didn't Jesus say something about a house divided, cannot stand? Why is that? Because they're supposed to be together, but they divided. Now, when the folk that are supposed to be together are divided, it falls. Now, as long as the folk that are supposed to be together stay together, then you can deal with the opposition. But when the folk that are supposed to be together are divided, don't think the opposition just leaves you alone. Isn't that what Abraham told Lot? He said, let us not strive for we be brethren. He said, let us not have division because there's still the opposition. He was telling Lot, look, if you and I start fighting each other's, these pagans gonna jump on both of us. We can't be divided. We're supposed to cooperate if we're on the same side. Now, I appreciate what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 10. Now, I beseech you, brethren. Now, he's writing to Christians. Everybody's supposed to be on the same side. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saying this by Jesus' authority. Because remember, Jesus was the one who said, a house divided can't stand. That ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. Why did he use the word divisions? Because you're supposed to be on the same side, which means you need to be cooperating. Now, now hold on to that. I'm going to say some more about that. He said, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, on matters of doctrine, the word of God is the standard. And if we all agree with the word of God, then we will also agree with one another. The Bible just settles it. Now, now you may have a thought and, and I may have a thought, but what does the word of God say? See, because once we find out what the word of God said, then, then everything is settled. The only question then is, are we going to line up with the word of God? But you know, when you add people to the mix, whenever you add people to the mix, things that can work don't always. See, you, you could settle any dispute with the word of God until you put us in it. Now, now what, what, what did the Bible tell us? That we ought to be kind to one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. And what do we do? We still bear grudges. See, the word of God settles it. We just won't cooperate. Now, if Jesus is really our master, then we know how to act even when we disagree. Because the fact of the matter is, the Bible settles everything, but we don't always agree on what the Lord said in the word of God. We don't. 
They look at me like that. We don't. Now, now the scripture says we're supposed to speak the same thing. But the problem is God let you and me in the church. And when he let you and me in, look, we can read the same thing and sometimes come away with different things. And no, that does not mean that private interpretations are acceptable. What that means is that at least one of us and perhaps both of us are incorrect in our theology. But, but, but watch something about the children of God. If Jesus is our master, then we know how to act even when we disagree. Now, number one, we don't pretend everybody is correct. That's dishonest. We can't say things that are diametrically opposed and both of us be right. Now, you can't say Jesus is Lord and I come in and say Jesus is not Lord and both of us are right. Somebody's wrong because that, that's just two opposing things. Well, that's just true about baptism. Either you have to be baptized to be saved or you don't. Now, we can't both be right if we're saying different things. Either there's one church or there isn't, but we can't both be right if we're saying things that are diametrically opposed. But follow that a step further. Not only do we not pretend that everybody is correct, we know how to act when we disagree. We don't resort to sniping and Shade and yeah, shade ain't a new word, but every now and then I don't put something out there to make the older folk ask the younger folk. Uh, some of us shade, what is he talking about? Ask one of the younger folk what shade is. You know, you just throw some shade sometime. Yeah, well, we don't do shade in the church, or at least we shouldn't do shade in the church. Now, now we might, but but you ought to know better. Now, I see some of you looking around. Now, if you're scared to ask a young person, come ask me after worship is over. And I'll let you know what shade is, but, but we ought not throw shade uh, uh, in the church. We ought not backbite. We, we, we ought not defame one another's character. We, we, we ought not talk about each other on the ride home. You know, we in here singing about how our, our God is, uh, how great our God is, and then talking about his children. Well, let me tell you something. I don't care how great you think I might be, and I, and I don't pro pro uh, profess that I'm God. I, I just want to make the point. Now, if you think I'm great, but you talk about my children, keep your praise to yourself. Because if you have something bad to say about my children, I don't want to hear it. Because those are my children. Now, they may not be right, but they're still my children. Hey, you're not right in everything you do or say either. Every member of the church is a professed sinner. So whatever faults they have, you got some faults as well. First and foremost, that's not how children of God behave. We, we don't do shade. But we also appreciate that each of us will stand before God in the last day. And at any rate, I can only believe and live for me. You know what I don't do when I go home? I don't stay up at night worried all night because somebody don't believe the same thing that I believe. You know what? Because both of us going to have to stand before God. Look, and I, I want you to get grace and mercy just like I know I need grace and mercy. So whichever one of us has the theological problem, and it might be both of us. You ever stop to consider sometimes we talk about you wrong and we both wrong? But whatever the case might be, I hope God keeps on being gracious and merciful to me. And whatever it is I need to straighten out, I get it straightened out before I have to stand before him at the judgment. As disciples... We follow. How, how did Jesus treat 
Now, now not, not the folk that was supposed to be on his side that wouldn't cooperate, but how did he treat enemies? See, Jesus didn't throw shade at his enemies. In fact, he hung on the cross and died for his enemies and his friends. That's how Jesus, if we are disciples, we will follow his example. So, so how do we treat each other when we don't believe the same thing? You know, I ain't gonna look at you funny just because you won't wear a mask. And if you look at me funny just because I am wearing one, that's not gonna make me stop. <laughs> but we ought to love one another. Well, we ought to follow Jesus' example in everything. And then in verse nine, as the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Inasmuch as we are branches of the true vine and disciples of the master, we are his friends and we ought to be friends with one another. And as friends, we commune. Now, you know, it's a sacred and humbling privilege to be the Lord's friend. Now, many people don't understand the concept of friendship. See, most of your friends on uh, Facebook are not really your friends. They're just people that sent you a friend request. You know, as, as some people got friends, they wouldn't know the person if they fell on them. And last time I looked on Facebook, I, 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 you know, I had more than 100 friends. I, I don't even know 100 people by name. I know I don't have that many friends. Let me come up on short on the rent money next month. I know there's not a hundred people I can go to that will help me out. In Proverbs 17, verse 17, the wise man said, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Now that don't mean I'll do what you want all the time, but it means I'm working in your best interest. See, sometimes friends say no. Sometimes friends will rebuke. A friend won't agree with something that they know to be wrong. A friend loves at all times. You wanna know who your friends are? Watch who you can depend on when adversity strikes. You know, Brother Holt has been leading us in the study of uh, First Kings on Wednesdays. You remember Adonijah with his big bad self tried to claim the throne and David saw what he was up to and David set things right? Well, why is it that Joab and Abiathar and company ran off and left Adonijah by himself? See, they wasn't his friends, but they went to his feast and ate his food. That don't mean I'm your friend. See, just because I laugh with you and talk with you don't mean I'm your friend. You want to know if I'm your friend is not so much what I say when you stand in there is really more what I say when you're not around to hear. But that's why they ran off and left them because they weren't his friends. They weren't even really on his side. Friendship speaks not only to dependence, but also to intimacy. Look there in uh, John 15 at verse number 15. Jesus says, henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, 
I have made known unto you. Now, if you have any wisdom to you, you are aware that you cannot share all information with everybody. You can't tell everybody everything. But you know what a test of friendship is? I can tell you, and my business is safe with you. Jesus said, I call you friend. Now, not because he has secrets he was trying to keep. He said, but I've told you everything I'm doing. That's a mark of friendship. When, when, when can be open. I'm not trying to hide anything. I am who I am and I let you see it. It'd be good to remember that for we walk down the aisle with somebody and say, I do. Now, when you got somebody that's holding stuff in the closet somewhere, because the door will come open one day, but it's better to know what's in the closet beforehand than afterhand. See, because if I try to hide stuff from you before, I'll sure enough try to hide it from you after. Jesus says, I call you friends because I've shown you plainly what I'm doing. In Proverbs 25, verse number 14, the Bible says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Now, the word secret refers to the intimate communication between close friends. It doesn't mean that God has some stuff that he doesn't want certain people to know, but it does mean that God has some stuff that only his friends know. Did you know if you God's friend, you know some stuff that the world doesn't know? You know how to have peace living in this troubled world we live in. You know, people want to know why you watch the news? Why are you not fighting mad? Why you don't want to just jump on somebody? See, because I know God's secrets. See, I, I, I know that he reigns in the kingdom of man. I, 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 he's taught me to know the difference between looks like and politicians, but I'm trusting in Jesus. See, God has some things that only those that know him know. You remember Moses? Moses had a different relationship with God than the rest of the Israelites. He, he just did. He, he, was, he, he was closer to God. Peter, James, and John, not the only disciples that Jesus had, but those three shared a relationship with Jesus that even the other nine didn't. Now that doesn't mean Jesus was playing favorites. You're not gonna be equally close to everybody. I, I dare anybody in here to stand up and say, I'm equal friends with everybody I know. No, you're not. Because whoever you are, I know I didn't talk to you on the phone last week. <laughs> and, and I know you talked to somebody so you already talked to somebody and didn't talk to me. How are we equal friends? You don't know me as well as you know everybody else, and I don't know you as well as you know everybody else. But Peter, James, and John, when Jesus was transfigured, who did he take? When he went to pray, he told them, wait here. Now, who went a little bit further with him? Now, they all went to sleep. But that's just, that's just humanity. 
you're not equal friends with everybody, but it doesn't mean that you don't want to be their friend. But if we are God's friend, then we commune with him. We, we, we share a relationship that those who are not his friends don't know. Now, he offers his friendship to everybody, but it's on the basis of submitting uh, uh, to his commands. And as branches in Christ, our communion with him reveals to us the secrets of life and peace. You know, people would pay money for that. And we just pray for free and go to sleep and sleep good. See, that's because we're friends with God. How do you think Paul learned contentment in every circumstance? Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. That's Philippians 4.11, just in case you're looking for it. Paul, how do you know that? See, I'm friends with Jesus. Now, I didn't always know that. I know it now. Why? Because when you're friends with Jesus, you commune, you, you learn some, uh, 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 some secrets that other folk just don't have. I learned that God is in control, that God has a plan. And you know what, boy, it just sure makes a difference in living. You know, that's why I don't feel compelled to turn on the news every night. That's why I'm not worrying about which party gonna win the next election. Because God is in control. And you know, God will raise folk to positions of leadership just to use them. Didn't he do that to Pharaoh? Now, Pharaoh, if you're just sitting down looking at qualifications, Pharaoh about the last person you wanted to be, the Pharaoh. What did Romans 9, 17 tell us? God said, for this purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in you. See, don't get hung up on looks like. What's the reality? God is in control. Whether you vote this way or that way, God is in control. And what to God, we, we pray to God as hard as we support sometimes our political uh, ideology. But you know, they say prayer changes things. And you know, one of the things prayer will change, you. Yeah, it won't necessarily change your circumstance, but it'll help you smile at things that used to have you crying. You don't think that's right? Look at Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. What did God change? Now, Paul, said, Paul asked God to take away the thorn. God left the thorn, but he changed Paul. And guess what Paul said? Now I rejoice about this very thing that I was begging God to take. Give it to God in prayer. He don't always change circumstance. Sometimes he changes us. But at any rate, if we want to be branches, if we want to be disciples, if we want to be friends, then God welcomes us freely to be all of that and more in Christ Jesus. God said, but it's on my terms. See, I don't mind giving, and I sure want you to take. But since I'm giving, you got to take on my terms. You know, you can't be a taker and a dictator. That's just ungrateful. See, we need grace and mercy. God would still be God without us. Without God, we'd still be lost. God says, so I'll give, but it's on my terms. Well, what are God's terms? Well, one, we need to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. 
We need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, 24. Jesus says, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We need to repent of sin. Acts 17, 30, verse uh, 17, 30 and 31. Uh, the Bible declares that God requires all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. We must make the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 10, verse 32, and then be baptized in water for the remission of sins, according to Acts 2.38. When we go down into the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus and dwells us with his spirit. You know, God said, now you're on my side. And on my side, I don't tolerate any division. You come into the body, you cooperate. And the standard is the word of God. And then he adds us uh, to the body and thereby thereafter requires that we live obediently in his service. Ephesians 4.1 says that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation with which we have been called. Means the church was ordained by God united and we ought not try to divide it when we come in. No shade allowed. Perhaps you're listening one of the various uh, technological means, Zoom, Facebook, perhaps you're here in our audience this morning. If you want to respond to the gospel invitation, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation. Just as